Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much to our, our singers. Thank you, Andrew, for that. That's a beautiful song. Take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 9. We'll be in Luke chapter 9. I want to thank Pastor Yeomans again for the opportunity to preach this morning. And uh, we're glad that you're here this morning. If you're here visiting or you're new to our church, we want to say welcome. Uh, we are so glad that you're here, glad that you honored that you join us uh, for our service today. Uh, this morning, we'll be finishing uh, our just short two-week series together. We started last week. We're finishing this morning, both in Luke chapter 9. And the title of our series is Follow Me. We've been examining and learning from what Jesus taught about what it means to be a disciple or a follower of Jesus. And if you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to go back and uh, listen to the message last week. It'll uh, help maybe give some context a little bit better uh, in, in a broader sense to what's going on here in Luke 9. Uh, but just for recap, quickly, we saw last week that Jesus was giving a call to all of his disciples, if any man will come after me, to follow me. He called us to follow him. And we saw that the disciples had a desire to follow Jesus, but they realized last week we saw the unexpected path of following Jesus. They learned that following Jesus was not going to be exactly like they expected it was going to be. They thought that the Messiah, the one they'd been looking for, the Son of God, they thought he would be a, a conquering king who would overthrow the Roman Empire, but instead he came as a suffering Savior. He, was, he said, yes, I'm the Messiah and come follow me, but the way I'm heading, the path that you'll be following, it's, it's not a path to immediate glory, but it's a path to opposition, to rejection, to suffering, and ultimately to death on the cross. And we learned some things last week about what it meant to follow Jesus. He said, if anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And we looked at what that meant last week. And so uh, in, in the middle of the passage here in Luke chapter 9, Jesus is continuing to preach and to teach. Uh, he's near the end of his earthly ministry, and so he's somewhat infamous at this point. I mean, the crowds are gathering and people are gathering. There's been some pretty amazing things go on. But I'd like to pick up our story near the end of Luke 9 in verse number 51. Luke 9 in verse number 51, if you'll read it together with me, the Bible says this, And it came to pass, when the time was come, that he should be received up, that he, this is Jesus, steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, and sent messengers before his face. And they went, and they entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him, because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven uh, and consume them even as Elias did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Let's pray together this morning. 
Father, we thank you for our time today. Thank you how we've been ministered already to by the words of the music. And thank you for your love for us, Lord. Love that sent your son to the cross. Lord, we're undeserving, but we're grateful. As we open up the word today, Lord, I pray that you would use it to challenge us, to speak to our hearts. Would your spirit convict us? Lord, I pray you would strengthen me, that you'd use me. And God, would you, would you do something in our midst today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever met a really good salesman? Or been in the presence of a really good salesman? Like the kind of salesman who could sell you sand in the middle of a desert. Like that kind of salesman. Who could sell you on something that you know you don't need and you know you're not interested. But you leave a conversation with this person and you're like, man, I, I just don't think I can live without it. You ever seen someone like that? I get nervous around those kind of people. Because I can get caught up in the hype and the excitement and the presentation. And I can walk away buying things I know I don't need. Spending way more than I should have spent. Upgrading on things I never should have upgraded on. Uh, I remember as a kid, I used to watch TV and there was a famous, oh, I think they still have them. I don't watch as much cable TV anymore. But there was like all kinds of commercials and infomercials where they try to sell you stuff on TV, right? And there was a famous TV salesman. You're probably already thinking of who he is. I got a photo of him here. His name is Billy Mays. How many of you recognize that face? Billy Mays. All right, some of us. He was famous for a few things. He, he, would, uh, he would sell gophers and he would sell uh, Zorbies. But he's most famous, at least in my mind, like, like he's pictured here, he's most famous for selling OxyClean. And Billy Mays, I mean, he just had it. He could, he could pitch, uh, pitch you a sales pitch, and I mean, it was word perfect, and it was quick, and it was convincing, it was concise, and the whole time he's telling you about the product, he's demonstrating the product, you know, and he's just making that kitchen and the commercial just sparkle. I remember watching him as a kid, I'm like eight years old, never done dishes, don't have a kitchen, I'm like, I can't live without OxyClean. Right? If I had a credit card, I probably would have ordered some OxyClean. I mean, he was the man, Billy Mays. And I think a lot of people who purchased products that were sold and promoted by Billy Mays probably were pretty disappointed. Because <laughs> he was such a salesman, I have a feeling that the product could never live up to the expectation that he had set. It's a classic case of being oversold and underdelivered, right? I remember when Aloma and I were going to Bible college, we went to a school in California. Some of you have been there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I remember the brochure and the, the welcome video, the perspective video for new students. I mean, it's in California, and they're showing things like, from the video, you would think the college campus is like right on Santa Monica Pier. You would think it's like down on Hermosa Beach. You think it's like downtown L.A., and then you go to the campus, and you realize we're like two hours from that. We're over the mountains. We're in a valley. We're in the Mojave Desert. The only thing you see for 20 minutes leaving the campus is tumbleweeds. And you're like, wait a second. This wasn't on the promo video. This wasn't in the, the pamphlet. Oversold and underdelivered, right? Well, today in our story, we're going to see something that's totally complete opposite from that, from Jesus. Last week, we saw Jesus calling people, hey, come after me, follow me. And now the crowds are gathering, and there's some momentum, and people are coming to Jesus and actually offering to follow him. We think, awesome. This is what we want. We want people to give their lives to follow after Jesus. But Jesus is not your typical salesman. He doesn't respond in a way in which we might think he would respond. He's not going to twist our arms. He's not going to over-deliver. He's not going to try to convince. In fact, we see a completely different approach in Scripture. We see, and what we're going to look at this morning, is we're going to see Jesus answer back to three would-be followers. 
Three people who have interest in being his disciples and following after Jesus. And we're going to look at his responses. They're direct responses. They're seemingly harsh responses. And Jesus is telling them why they will not or why they cannot be his followers. Now, that's not what we expect. We think, man, people want to follow you, Jesus. You should be excited. I mean, you're asking people to follow you, and here's some volunteers. But instead, he's responding as to why they will not or why they cannot follow him. He's laying out some hindrances, some obstacles. He's identifying the true cost in what it means to be a disciple. He's not going to twist your arm. He's going to lay it out plainly. And so today's message, I've entitled it, Follow Me, The Unusual Pitch for Discipleship. I want you to remember this before we get into the first interaction. Remember that when Jesus interacts with these would-be followers, he doesn't just hear what they say the way that you and I do, but as God, he also knows what's going on behind the scenes. He knows what's in their hearts. He knows what's in their minds. He hears what they say, but he also sees the motivation of their hearts. And so when he responds, it's not harsh or extreme, but it's pushing past the facade, past the exterior, into the real heart motive of these people. And we're going to see that together. He's speaking to the unspoken and unsaid barriers in their hearts that are stopping them from fully following him. And my hope this morning is that the Spirit will use his word to convict our hearts and identify some unsaid, perhaps unspoken barriers in our lives that are stopping us from fully following Jesus. So let's look at the first one together. We'll look in verse number uh, 57 together. We'll see that we must follow Jesus over comfort. Follow Jesus over comfort. Look at verse number 57. The Bible says, It came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, said unto Jesus, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Here's the first interaction. The guy's like, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, hey, foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has not a place to lay his head. Now, in this time, it's very customary for Jewish young men, after studying the law as a young person, if they showed some sort of aptitude in studying the law, perhaps they would continue past 15. And now, if they're continuing to show some aptitude in studying the things of the Old Testament law, that at 18, they would attach themselves to a Jewish rabbi. And so, if they were a good student and they had some aptitude for studying the law, they would find a rabbi whose teachings they wanted to subscribe to and follow, and they would uh, go to him and often uh, ask to follow a rabbi. And so, that's what we see here happening to Jesus. It's not uncommon. In fact, many of these Jewish young men, if they followed a rabbi and became a disciple of a certain rabbi, they would now live with that rabbi. They would spend months and even years away from their home living with and learning from these rabbi. So it's very customary, it's very normal what we see going on here. But what's different is that Jesus, as a rabbi, doesn't have a home to offer, doesn't have a place to stay. He's a traveling preacher, he's a traveling ministry, he's doing missions and miracles and preaching and teaching, and he's traveling city to city, and he's like, hey, you want to follow me? I got no place for you to stay. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He said, I'm not accepted around here, I don't have a permanent dwelling here on this earth. We saw that earlier in their text, didn't we? Where he was traveling into a village of the Samaritans and his disciples sent ahead to find a place for him to stay. And it says that they would not receive him 
because he had set his face towards Jerusalem. He had already just experienced, the disciples had just seen that nobody wants to make a home from him, uh, for him. Jesus is pretty used to that, isn't he? When he was born, he was not born in the inn. He was born in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. He's pretty used to no one on earth having any room for him, no one wanting to receive him. He said, that's kind of the way it goes if you're following me. Foxes, the animals of the day, they have a den, they have a hole. Birds, they have a nest, but nobody has any room for me. And so if you're following me, realize that you're saying no, you're giving up to the comforts of the world. His disciples are like, Jesus, do you want us to call down fire on these people who won't receive him, receive you? And he's like, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm not come to destroy men's lives, I'm come to save men's lives. Later in Luke, we see in chapter 19 and verse 10, he says, The Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. Why is Jesus' face set towards Jerusalem? You see, early in Jesus' ministry, he would often say things like this, My time is not yet come. But from this point on, everything changes. His earthly ministry is coming to a conclusion, and he has set his face steadfastly. Nothing's going to move him. Nothing's going to shake him. He's going to Jerusalem. You say, why? Well, what happens in Jerusalem? Jesus is going to offer his life as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. Jesus is going to be crucified on the cross. His time is now come. It's time to fulfill the mission that he came to earth to do. He steadfastly set his face toward Jerusalem. He's going to save, not to destroy. But in following Jesus, sometimes we have to give up the comforts of this world. And Jesus knows that this man, in his heart, there's a desire for material things, for worldly comforts. You cannot prioritize comfort and follow Jesus. We live in a comfortable society. Comfort is one of the gods of our society. A world that conditions us and makes it easy to do what's comfortable, to take the easy route out. We have so many things that lead us towards further convenience and comfort. But what if following Jesus doesn't allow us to stay in our comfort zone? What if following Jesus means that we give up the securities of life that make things so comfortable? You see, Jesus never promises followers comfort. He never promised them uh, retirement and beautiful homes. He never promised expendable income and wealth and resources. It's not to say that in following Jesus we'll never have that, but it's to say it was never promised. And you can't follow after the comfort of these things and follow after Jesus. You say, well, I follow Jesus. Well, would you if he took everything away? Consider the story of Job in the Old Testament who continued to follow the Lord even though God took everything from him. His health, his finances, his family, his wealth, his, his everything. And yet he continued to praise the Lord. Would you? Because you can't follow Jesus in comfort. But I believe it's not just the comforts of this world as in the houses and the cars and the financial freedom, but it's also our comfort zones, as I mentioned earlier. So many people today, so many would-be disciples, perhaps in this room, would follow Jesus, but refuse to walk in obedience because of their comfort zones. I don't really speak to my friends about my faith. It's just not really something that I'm comfortable with. I don't trust God. I'm just not super comfortable. I don't go all in because I'm just not comfortable. I don't put God first. I don't mentor other people in their faith. I don't teach the word. I don't study the Bible. It's just not who I am. That's not how God made me. I'm not comfortable. But Jesus didn't call us to follow ourselves. He didn't come and set his face toward Jerusalem and die on the cross so that we could stay in our comfort zones. He came to save us from who we are, not so we could stay as who we are. 
He came to change us, to make us new. And following Jesus will never be comfortable because obedience to the word is not comfortable because growth and becoming more like Jesus is not comfortable because stepping out in faith is not comfortable. And I'm afraid there's so many of us who are unwilling to take the steps to follow Jesus because we just want to stay in our comfort zones. Let me just stay where I'm comfortable. And Jesus says, hey, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but following me is not a life of comfort. There's nowhere for me to lay my head. What comfort zone, what comforts of life are you prioritizing over obedience to Jesus? We must follow Jesus over comfort. But number two, we must follow Jesus despite the cost. The second interaction is quite a unique one. Look at verse number 59 with me. The Bible says, And he said unto another, Follow me. So this is not somebody offering to follow Jesus. This is somebody he's calling to follow him. He says, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead. But go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Okay, once again, very important to understand this interaction in light of the Jewish culture, okay? Jesus knows the heart of this man. This is not a one-answer-fits-all kind of thing from Jesus. This is not me saying, hey, if you're going to follow Jesus, you cannot go to your parents' funeral. That's, that's not the lesson here. That's not the takeaway. Don't write it down. Don't tell anyone that's what you learned in church, okay? In Jewish culture, young men were to serve their families and serve their fathers until their father's death. Oftentimes, they would serve in the family business, and at the time when their father died, they would bury their father and then receive an inheritance, usually the, work that, the wealth of the work that they had been working towards. In fact, I even read in a commentary this week that the, the phrase, uh, I haven't yet buried my father, was some sort of like a Jewish sort of term that would be common in culture. Say, so, hey, let's go here, let's do this. Hey, you want to buy this? I can't. I haven't yet buried my father. It meant that you still had a responsibility at home. You still had a duty to do. It meant that you hadn't yet received an inheritance. You weren't free necessarily to do some of the things that you wanted to do because you hadn't yet buried your father. Also remember this, that Jewish people did not embalm bodies like Egyptians did. They buried them on the same day. So I don't believe, it's my personal opinion, that I don't believe that this man is sitting here listening to the teaching of Jesus while his father is a dead corpse at home. I don't believe that's what's going on. I believe he's telling Jesus, hey, let me go fulfill my responsibility to my father. Let me go continue to work, continue to serve them, wait until my father dies, bury him, receive an inheritance, and then I will follow you. And then I will follow you. See the great cost that's involved for this man in following Jesus. Consider the cultural cost. It would be a great shame and a great countercultural action to say, you know what, I'm not going to stay in the family business until I bury my father. Instead, I'm going to go follow Jesus. That would be very different. That would be countercultural. That would make you really stand out. It would be looked down upon. Now, I wonder, are we willing to follow Jesus even if it's countercultural? Even if we're looked down upon from others in the culture? Even if it makes us different? Even if we stand out? What about the financial cost? He's quite literally putting his inheritance at risk. Now, I could see the logic here and say, well, Jesus, if you just give me a few years, you just give me a few years, and then I'll fulfill my responsibility, and then I'll receive inheritance, and then I'll be an even better follower. Man, I, could, I, could, uh, I won't have to worry about money. Jesus, I could even give to you. Maybe you have that place that you never said you had, right? I'll give it to you. He could excuse it. He could logic it away. 
But he's putting at risk here in following Jesus his financial inheritance. Because following Jesus is a matter of priority. It's a matter of importance, despite the cost, no matter what it costs us. So what are your priorities? Would you follow Jesus if it means being rejected by your family? If it meant that you're the only one who does? If it meant that you have to live in a home of opposition because you're the only one who will walk in obedience to him, would you still follow Jesus? What about cultural rejection? What about if your friends think you're crazy and they don't want to be your friends anymore? And what if it goes against everything that everybody else is doing to follow Jesus? Would you still do it? You say, well, I just don't really know if I want to be all in. I mean, how would I be relatable? How would I be accessible to my you know, unsaved friends and family? I would just, it would make me weird. Obedience to Christ? I mean, living sober and self-controlled lives? Dying to my selfish desires and self-gratifications? And walking in sexual purity and preaching the gospel? I just wouldn't fit in. I wouldn't fit in. No, you wouldn't. You would stand out. But what if that's what God is calling us to do? It is what God's calling us to do. To be salt and light in a dark world. And so would you follow Jesus if it means step, stepping out and standing out and being different and separating from family and culture? Would you follow Jesus if it meant financial sacrifice? Giving up the career, giving up the retirement? Would you be willing to give it all to follow Jesus? Consider the cost. I think it's really interesting, too, that this man is telling Jesus, hey, let me just uh, finish this season of life, and then I'll follow you. We do that a lot, don't we? Well, just, I just got to get through this season of life. Once I'm through this season of life and fulfill my responsibilities, and once I've set myself up for success, then I will obey you, Jesus. Let me just chase my career and just get that set up a little bit, and then I will be all in for Jesus. Let me just chase this relationship, and once I have it, and I got the girl, and, I, and I'm going to get married, once I got all that figured out, then I will be all in for you, Jesus. Let me have some fun. I mean, I'm just a young adult after all, and once I get through this season of life and settle down, then I'll really get it all in on you, Jesus. I mean, I'm a, I'm a busy working adult. I'm five years out from retirement. Let me just finish this. Let me work the overtime. Let me take early retirement, and then I will follow you, Jesus. Let me just raise my kids, man. Let me just put some money away for college. And once I get that settled and I set them up for the future, then I'll be all in for Jesus. Let me just get through this season of life. But what message do we send when we live this way? Jesus, you're good enough for second place in my life. You're good, but just not good enough for right now. When I figure things out, when I get my life all figured out, then I'll add you back into the puzzle, Jesus. But right now, i got to do things on my own. Parents, what message do we send to our kids? What message do you send to your kids when you say, kids, I want you to follow Jesus, but I'm just not going to do it right now. Right now, I'm more concerned with career and money and finances, but I want you to be all in on Jesus. Kids, serve Jesus. I don't do it. No, I got other things to worry about. I'm trying to send you to college after all. But kids, you follow Jesus. I'll follow Jesus when I'm retired. Isn't that what we often do? Have you allowed cultural pressure to stop you in obeying Jesus and following him? Have you allowed financial stability to stop you from following Jesus? Have you let a season or a stage of your life be the reason why you won't walk in obedience to Christ? There's a cost to following Jesus. Notice with me lastly, we must follow Jesus over comfort, despite the cost, and without conditions. Look at verse number 61 with me. The Bible says, And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee. But let me first go bid them farewell, which are at my home, at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit 
for the kingdom of God. Here's another person who willingly offers to follow the Lord. But notice the offer. He says, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first. You notice that? Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first. It's a paradox. Because if we claim God to be the Lord of our lives, then it's not us first, it's him first. And yet we often do that. Lord, I'll follow you, but me first. I'll I'll make you Lord of all in my life, but me first. It's been said, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. This man wants to go back and say goodbye to his family before he goes all in to follow Jesus. Now look, this is a pretty reasonable request. Alom and I are getting ready to make a big move. I relate and understand with the desire to say, hey, let me go and say goodbye to my family. And I've decided after studying that we will not be saying goodbye to any of our family. No, just kidding. (laughs) We're not going to do that. Again, know that Jesus knows the heart of this man. He knows that this is not a man who's all in. He's not a man who's fully committed. This is a man who is divided This is a man who sort of wants to follow Jesus, but will be easily swayed by his friends and family back home to give up the call and to give up the cost. This is a man who's offering to follow Jesus, but not wholeheartedly. It's an offer with conditions. He's not sold out. Jesus responds. He says, hey, look, no man with his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not a farmer. (laughs) Far from it. Pastor Yeomans might have to fact check me on this one. But I've heard that if you want to plow a straight line in the field, you've got to pick a spot and you've got to focus on it. And you can't be moving forward and have your eyes back here and plow a straight line. And he says, hey, you, you can't have your eyes on Jesus and on the world and your eyes on Jesus and on comfort and your one eye on Jesus and one eye on finances and relationships and one eye on anything else. You can't and be fit for the kingdom of God. You can't be divided. You can't offer your life to Jesus with conditions. Keep your eyes on Jesus. As the song says, no turning back, no turning back. We recently just sold our home, and a lot of you have been praying for that, and I appreciate that, and checking up with us. And You know, when you sell a house, you get offers on your house. And almost always, they're offers that come with conditions, right? Hey, I'll buy your house conditional upon my financing, right? That's a smart one. I'll buy my, your house conditional upon a, uh, a home inspection or conditional upon the sale of my house. It's an offer with conditions. I wonder what conditions have you built into your offer to follow Jesus? You say, Lord, I'll commit my life to you. Here's my offer sheet. I'll follow you as long as it's not takes up more than two nights of my week. I'll follow you as long as I still make like, you know, a comfortable 60, 70K a year. I'll follow you as long as I don't got to be too extreme or too different than the culture. As long as you give me what I, what I want in life. As long as I can just finish what I'm doing first. As long as it doesn't involve me giving up this sin that I like holding on to. As long as it doesn't require me to step out of this comfort zone or take this really difficult step of obedience. I wonder, how do you fill in this blank? Lord, I'll follow you, but first let me. What is that in your life? What is the condition that you've built into your offer to follow Jesus? I'll follow you. But first let me, whatever that is, is an idol. We've offered conditions on our terms to follow Jesus. We say, Lord, I'll follow you half-heartedly as my second choice. Well, I'm sorry, and I hate to tell you this today, friend, but i got to tell you this. 
that following Jesus half-heartedly as our second choice is not following Jesus. Because the only way to follow Jesus is to be totally committed. It's the only way. There's no half in, half out. There's no a second choice or second chance. If that's the truth, then you're not following him at all. You say, Pastor Levi, this is pretty heavy. (laughs) In fact, someone someone talked to me this week and said, hey, couldn't we do a little something, maybe a little bit more comforting, a little more uplifting next week? So here's here's my attempt here, okay? This is good news. Following Jesus, here's what it does not require. And praise the Lord for this. It does not require perfect obedience. It just requires total commitment. You might be sitting here thinking, Pastor Levi, this is, an, this is an incredible hill that you've asked us to climb. Like, you don't know me, my faults and my failures. There's no way I could follow Jesus if that's what it's all about. Well, it doesn't require perfect obedience. And thank the Lord for the testimony of the disciples because they, they proved it to us. I mean, they just saw in Luke chapter 9, God's glory, Jesus' glory in the Mount of Transfiguration. And they get down and James and John are like, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Who's going to sit on the right hand of the Father? They're prideful. They're arguing. They miss it. Jesus doesn't have a place to stay. They're like, you want us to call down fire? Pretty soon, Jesus is going to go to Jerusalem, and Peter is going to deny him and say, I don't even know that guy. They're going to mess up. They're going to fall. They're going to fail. And so will you, and so will I. It doesn't require perfect obedience. It requires total commitment. It requires that you're all in. It requires that when you fall seven times, you get back eight, and you just keep following Jesus, and you just keep fixing your eyes on him. And so we can do it, but it requires our all. I'm going to put them first, regardless of comfort, no matter the cost, and without conditions. That's what it means to follow Jesus. You ever wonder, like maybe you're, you're sitting there thinking, say, that's a pretty big ask. <laughs> that's a pretty big ask to give everything, to give my comfort and, and give it all to follow Jesus, to put him first. I mean, I don't know how I feel about that. Why, why could or why should Jesus ask such a bold thing of us. Remember what we read in verse 51? Jesus had set his face toward Jerusalem. He was going to Jerusalem to pay the penalty for our sin. You see, I want to read a verse for you as we start to close here this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I believe it will be on the screens. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14, the Bible says this, For the love of Christ constraineth us, It motivates us. It compels us. That if one died for all, then we're all dead. And and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Why should we give it all for Jesus? Why should we put him first, despite the cost, despite losing our comforts? Because he gave everything for us. The Bible teaches that all of us, you and me, we've all fallen short. We've sinned and come short of the glory of God, God's standard of perfection. And that because of our sin, there's a penalty. The wages of our sin is death and separation from God, our Father, who loves us. But God commendeth, he showed his love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Christ came to earth, God's Son came to earth to live the perfect and sinless life that we could never live and die the death that we deserve to die. And three days later, he rose again and was victorious over death and the grave. That's why it's worth it. That's why we should give our all. Because Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice for us. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. 
in our sin, in our failure, God sent his son to the cross for us. He didn't wait for us to respond. He didn't wait for us to accept him. He loved us first. And so now the love of Christ compels us, constrains us, that if he died for all, then we who live shouldn't live for ourselves, but should live and give our lives for the one who gave everything on the cross for us. When we consider the cross and we consider the sacrifice, our only answer would be like the author of Romans in chapter 12 when he says, hey, uh, give your life a a living sacrifice. Why? Because it's your reasonable service. When we really consider all that Christ has sacrificed for us, it's not unreasonable. It's not crazy. It's not out of this world. It's reasonable. It just makes sense that we would live our lives for the one who gave his life for us. So today, will you follow Jesus? Without or with or without the comforts of life, no matter what it costs you, and without conditions. Now look, it's an unusual pitch. Jesus is not a salesman. He's not trying to sell you on how easy or casual it'll be. He's not offering you something that he's not going to deliver on. He's laying it out plain. He's like, look, it won't always be comfortable. It's going to cost you a great deal. And you've got to do it without conditions. It's not going to be easy. But it'll always be worth it. I finished this morning how I finished last week. It's worth it. It's worth it to follow Jesus because of what he did for us on the cross. It's hard sometimes. It costs a lot, but it's worth it because Jesus is worthy. He's worthy of everything. And so, friend, I just encourage you today, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, he loves you so much he went to the cross for you. And Christian, follow Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Be willing to give it all, to put him first, because he gave it all for us. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed.